the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to be back in studio, feeling a little bit better, although not 100%, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. Today we're going to talk with Travis Weber. He's an attorney at the Family Research Council. He attended today's Supreme Court hearing in the case Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. We're going to talk about what he saw and heard and uh, the potential impact of the decision the Supreme Court will ultimately make probably sometime this summer. And of course, that's the cake baker who declined to make a cake for a same-sex couple, although he had uh, made many other things for them on many other occasions. We're also going to uh, hear from Stephen Mosier. He's the author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. It's a, a fascinating book. And if you want to better understand what motivates China to act as it does, what its long-term goals are, uh, Stephen Mosier has been um, a China expert for decades. He's uh, one of the individuals that shone a bright light on their one-child policy many years ago. He's considered a an expert on the subject of uh, of the People's Republic of China. He's uh, spoken before Congress, has been very involved over many, many years. Anyway, he'll join us uh, to talk about his book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Uh, that will be at about 5.15 this afternoon. So... Uh, Great uh, conversation to listen in on. Well, a lot going on since the last time I was here in studio behind the mic, and it's a bit frustrating because I won't have the opportunity to cover all of it, but I will try to cover some of the highlights of the last uh, 24, 48 hours. One thing we learned earlier today, Representative John Conyers uh, this morning announced that he will, in fact, retire from Congress while in a Michigan hospital bed, saying he's endorsing his son, John Conyers III, for the rest of his um, uh, term. Uh, for more than a half century, he served him in growing sexual misconduct allegations. There were calls for his resignation. Rather than do so, he has now announced he is retiring. The 88-year-old Michigan Democrat said in a phone interview with a local radio station from a Detroit hospital, I am retiring today. He's been uh, in the hospital since last month after experiencing chest pains. I want everyone to know how much I appreciate their support. Conyers is the longest-serving congressman. He made the decision two weeks ago after sexual harassment allegations first surfaced and after returning last week to his uh, Detroit-area district to discuss his political future with family and advisors. The most recent accusation surfaced uh, yesterday and alleged that Conyers Well, I won't go into detail because you don't need to hear them. It was disgusting and entirely inappropriate and that an 88-year-old man or at the time 85 or 82 or 80-year-old, maybe he was 65, I don't know. Any man who would hold a position of authority like he does should know better. Common sense would dictate what's appropriate and what's not. But somehow in our culture, individuals who hold significant power and those who do not somehow believe it's all right for them to behave in ways that are uh, thoroughly and totally 
unacceptable. So I won't go into the the details. The latest accusation comes amid mounting claims, and after he was hospitalized, he made his announcement on Praise 1027's The Mildred Gaddis Show. Uh, He endorsed his son. Um, That was unexpected. He has no political experience, considering his great-nephew, Ian Conyers, a Michigan state senator, said earlier that Conyers would not seek re-election in 2018 instead of retiring, and that he would run for the open seat. So we don't know what the family drama is there. But nonetheless, the Constitution doesn't allow for appointments to the House. So while Conyers has endorsed endorsed, his son for the seat, the process begins with the Michigan Democratic Party through the nomination process, then voters decide in either a special election or a two, uh, 2018 congressional election. But John Conyers will not return to the U.S. Senate. Meanwhile, President Trump and the RNC uh, endorsed Alabama Republican Senate nominee Roy Moore, telling voters we need him to tackle illegal immigration, tax reform and more And his strongest statement yet in support of the embattled candidate. Now, this is one of the things that I think people find so um, uh, distasteful about politics. Uh, We like to think that there are honorable people making decisions that are in the best interest of their constituents without regard to their own political future. But the truth is, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, whatever side of the continuum you happen to be, uh, when your political interests are at stake, and I get it, I understand why Roy Moore would be a better choice for Donald Trump than a, a Democrat taking that seat that's been held by Republicans for half a century. I understand that. But it's disheartening when principles uh, simply no longer matter because there are are political um, uh, political values at stake. Now, when uh, when Bill Clinton was accused of, well, what he was accused of, uh, the calls from conservatives was that that character matters. Now, I don't know if Roy Moore is guilty or not. The point is, we don't know. And these allegations um appear to be credible. He's not in a position to fight them at this point, and perhaps if he is successful, other Republicans, as they had promised, will censure him or seek some kind of a resolution. I don't know. But it's it's uh, disheartening and frustrating uh, when you see the rules change, the lines moved in order to take a, a political advantage. Now, it's true that the voters of Alabama, it's up to them to decide whether or not Roy Moore should and will represent them. It's true that there are politicians in Washington who have been accused of heinous actions, um, Senator Conyers being uh, the latest to step aside, but most of them continue to serve. Some of them have paid off their accusers. And so to single out Roy Moore seems to Donald Trump, the RNC and others to be an unfair disadvantage. I get all of that. Uh, but the White House made it official in a statement confirming Trump personally backed more during a phone call. I think it's unfortunate, but that's the reality of politics in America in 2017. When the truth is, that's been the truth of politics in America long before 2017, but you get the idea. Also, ABC News announced Saturday that Chief Investigative Correspondent Bryant Ross uh, would be suspended for four weeks without pay over a botched exclusive about former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. During a live special report Friday morning, he reported that Flynn would testify that Donald Trump had ordered him to make contact with Russians about foreign policy while he was still a candidate. The report raised the specter of Trump's impeachment and sent the stock uh, the stock market plummeting. Later in the day, ABC issued a clarification to Ross's report saying that Trump's alleged directive came after he'd been elected president. Ross himself appeared 
appeared on World News Tonight several hours after the initial report to clarify his error, which could not be clarified. It was an error. In a statement, ABC News said Ross' report had not been fully vetted through our editorial standards process. That's doubtful, given the fact that this is ABC News. It is vital that we get the story right and retain the trust we have built over our audience, ABC statement uh, added. These are our core principles. We fell far short of that today. Uh, once he is reinstated, now that he has the holidays free, um, he will not be allowed to report on uh, stories related to President Trump. So that's how they have uh, decided to deal with that. Well, tax reform has brought out the extreme hyperbole of the left, much like Obamacare brought out the extreme hyperbole of the right. For Michael Baroni points out that some comments are truly unhinged. America died tonight. That was a tweet. Uh, Newsweek writer Kurt Eichenwald, economic suicide adopted to feed the insatiable greed of donors who have been refusing to dole out money to the GOP until they got their tax cuts. Voters fooled by propaganda and tribal hatred, end quote. Widely followed comedian Patton Oswalt chimed in. Is there any going back after this hashtag tax bill scam to America? Does it matter now if Trump is impeached? There's no America now. Not the one we knew. Sorry. Feeling really despaired this morning. Or liberal blogger Bill Palmer, millions of Americans died tonight. Really? I didn't read about it. So did the careers of every one of these psychotic, drooling um, pundits and the Republican Party who voted for it, he went on to say. This was mass murder. Well, be careful how you interpret what you read. It's not always accurate. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back 16 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. In our next segment, we're going to talk with Travis Weber. He's an attorney for the Family Research Council. Today, the Supreme Court heard arguments in the case Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission having to do with religious liberty and um, uh, public accommodations. We'll find out what was said and the sort of the tenor of the arguments that were heard today. Well, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn pled guilty on Friday to a single count of making false statements to the FBI, becoming the latest Trump associate ensnared by Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Uh, a lot has been made of his um, his guilty plea, what it may or may not mean. Well, this, the truth is we don't know precisely what it means. But as part of the deal, Flynn has agreed to cooperate with the Mueller investigation and um is already supplying information about the actions of top Trump transition officials. And though the individuals are not named, court documents show that he's claiming a very senior member of the Trump transition team directed him to contact foreign governments, including Russia, over the uh, United Nations vote, which was the subject of one of his false statements. Now, the question is the timing of that uh, that call, if this was the transition uh, that's not an issue. If it was prior to the transition, that's a big issue. The documents also say Flynn called an unnamed senior transition official in December to ask what to communicate to the Russian ambassador about sanctions. That official said, and Flynn rather, discussed how they didn't want Russia to escalate the situation, something Flynn immediately told the ambassador in a phone call. He's a retired Army lieutenant general, became the first Trump ex-White House official charged in the Russian probe. His tenure at the White House was brief. He was fired for similar 
uh, conduct pertaining to his undisclosed discussions with the Russians. And Flynn had been under investigation even before the special counsel probe over lobbying work for the uh, Turkey and other issues. The fact that he faced just one count prompted immediate speculation that Flynn was uh, cooperating and offering information to Mueller's team. But again, that speculation, when we find out, then we'll know. In a written statement, he said it's been extraordinarily painful to endure these many months of false accusations of treason and other outrageous uh, acts. However, he said, I recognize that the actions I acknowledged in court today were wrong. And though my uh, and uh, though my faith in God, I am working to set things right. My guilty plea and agreement to cooperate with the special counsel's office reflect a decision I made in the best interests of my family and our country. I accept full responsibility for my actions. Well, a source close to the uh, to Flynn rather said financial and emotional pressure helped lead to the decision to plead guilty rather than endure a drawn out um, court battle. And again, a lot of speculation surrounding what this may mean, what he may or may not know, and uh, what the Mueller investigation will make of it all. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, speculation, I suppose it's it's a good way to burn calories, but it's not very productive otherwise. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson is not leaving the Trump administration despite speculation, the president said on Friday afternoon. The media has been speculating that I fired Rex Tillerson. Well, that's not true. They speculated that he was going to leave or that he would be leaving soon. Fake news, the president tweeted. He's not leaving. And while we disagree on certain subjects, I call the final shots. We work well together and America is highly respected again. A photo of Trump and Vice President Mike Pence attending the swearing-in ceremony of Tillerson accompanied that tweet. Well, the response from the president follows reports earlier in um, the week, that's last week, that Tillerson was expected to resign from his post in January and would potentially be succeeded by current CIA Director Mike Pompeo. That succession plan would then involve nominating Arkansas GOP Senator Tom Cotton to take Pompeo's role at the CIA. Another possible but less likely scenario that was floated on Thursday uh, would would have uh, moved U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley to the State Department. But again, all of that speculation. Um, now, the president hasn't fired him, has no plan for him to leave. The question is, and much of the speculation about Tillerson had to do with him deciding that he wanted to leave. So we'll find out what happens because Tillerson doesn't have to be fired to decide he's through. Um, we'll continue to watch what actually happens. And again, burning calories with speculation uh, might accomplish one thing, but not very useful. Byron York wrote, an, uh, I think, a very helpful piece in the Washington Examiner on uh, whether or not the Trump-Russia probe was really all about the Logan Act and what this might all mean. If you have the opportunity to read it, it's actually uh, dated December 3rd, but it's it's a great read to kind of put things into perspective. And he writes the documents outlining Michael Flynn's guilty plea in the Trump-Russia investigation do not allege collusion or conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia to influence the 2016 election. Uh, much to the disappointment of Trump haters. They do, however, suggest that the Obama Justice Department was intensely interested in Flynn's discussions with Russian Ambassador Kislov about policy issues, sanctions against Russia, the United Nations resolution on Israel during the presidential transition, when Barack Obama was still in the White House and Donald Trump was preparing to take office. At the time, top justice officials uh, suspected Flynn of violating the Logan Act, the 218-year-old law under which no one has ever been prosecuted, but it prohibits private citizens from acting on behalf of the United States in disputes with foreign governments. 
Starting in the summer of 2016 and intensifying in the transition period, the Logan Act, while mostly unknown and obscure to the general public, became a hot topic of conversation among some Democrats. A number of lawmakers, former officials and commentators called on the Obama administration to investigate the Trump team for a possible Logan Act violation or violations and to do it while the Democrats still control the executive branch. At the same time, inside the Obama Justice Department, it appeared the Logan Act became a paramount concern among some key officials in the critical week between December 2016 and January 2017. Tom Vilsack, Obama's Secretary of Agriculture and on Hillary Clinton's vice presidential shortlist, accused Trump of violating the Logan Act. Um, uh, that's a no-no. You can't do that, Vilsack said. That's not legal. Now, most people had to look it up. What's the Logan Act and why are we talking about it? Well, following his uh, Vilsack was Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill. I believe it violates the Logan Act, McCaskill said, and I think he should be investigated for that. Well, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi called Trump's statements a treasonous act. Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid said it borders on treason, but this wasn't choreographed at all. Harvard law, and this is politics. It's not Democrat, it's politics. Harvard law professor, well it is Democrats, but it's also politics. Law professor Lawrence Tribe weighed in the next day. The Logan Act, which was enacted back in 1799 and fundamentally says that you cannot engage in negotiations with a foreign power. Tribe told MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell, it hasn't been used but that's because we haven't had very many Donald Trumps, thank God, in our history. I think he's violated that act. On August the 3rd, two more Democratic senators, Chris Coons and Sheldon Whitehouse, they called for a hearing on Trump and the Logan Act. Mr. Trump's comments implicate U.S. criminal laws prohibiting engagement with foreign government, so on and so forth, they wrote. On the 9th of August, Democratic Representative Patrick Murphy, Andre Carson and Eric Swalwell, they called for a House hearing to examine whether Trump violated you guessed it, the Logan Act, among other statutes. In September, John Conyers, who's now retired, the top Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee, asked the FBI's then-director James Comey whether the Bureau was investigating Trump for a possible violation of the Logan Act. Comey declined to answer. At that same hearing, another Democrat, Representative Ted Deutsch, asked Comey about reports that sometime Trump... Um, foreign policy advisor, board member Carter Page traveled to Moscow in July of 2016. If an American citizen, Director Comey, conducted meetings with a Russian individual who has been sanctioned by the United States about potential weakening of U.S. sanctions policy in violation of the Logan Act, would the FBI investigate, Deutsch asked. I don't think it's appropriate to answer that, Comey responded. Well, then on the 8th of December, Democratic Representative Jared Huffman introduced the One President at a Time Act of 2016. That bill would have amended the Logan Act to specify that a president-elect or anyone acting on a president-elect's behalf was specifically subject to its restrictions. Now, that has not been the case up to this point, but this... Um, uh, this bill, if you will, would have uh, made it so. The bill just makes it explicitly clear that the president-elect is just like every other private citizen during the transition period. A period, Huffman told MSNBC's O'Donnell, they can't go around purporting to conduct U.S. foreign policy. On December 20th, Representative Conyers and Senior uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, what a pair, and the Justice Department, um, uh, I should say, asked the Justice Department to investigate Trump for a possible violation of the Logan Act, 22nd of December, former Obama State Department official Wendy Sherman told MSNBC that Trump's actions on a U.N. resolution concerning Israeli settlements implicated the Logan Act. And you can guess from there. On the day Sherman appeared, Flynn spoke on the uh, phone with Kislak about 
That pending U.N. resolution concerning Israeli settlements, Flynn informed the Russian ambassador about the incoming administration's opposition to the resolution and requested that Russia vote against or delay the resolution, said the statement. Now, she didn't actually know that, but that was the speculation at the time. A few days later, Flynn and Kislak spoke again, according to Mueller's statement. This time, the subject was the new sanctions Obama imposed on Russia. Two days later, Kislak called Flynn to say that Russia had chosen not to retaliate in response to Flynn's request. U.S. intelligence agencies recorded the calls. Kislak was the subject of American monitoring, so a wiretap on him on these occasions picked up Flynn, too, which is why those uh, phone conversations are now a part of public, or not public, but uh, government record. Well, it goes on from there explaining how uh, all of what we're seeing now grew out of an effort to impose the Logan Act that uh, sort of morphed into collusion, and now it's morphed into... um, uh, some other corruption charges. Anyway, it's worth reading. I'll try to put a link on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. Byron York uh, in Trump Russia probe. Was it all about the Logan Act? You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Up next, Travis Weber. We're going to talk about cake and civil rights. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 36 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. The Supreme Court heard uh, one of the most important cases of the 2017 term today, the Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. The court considered whether the state of Colorado can compel cake artist Jack Phillips to create custom wedding cake for same-sex weddings in violation of his religious beliefs. The court's decisions in the case won't just affect Phillips. It's going to affect other artists who may want to decline to use their creative talents on projects that violate their own conscience. To highlight just how broadly that decision will be felt, 11 cake artists and 479 other creative professionals filed an amicus brief at the Supreme Court uh, to to give you some perspective on... um the arguments back and forth. Well, my next guest, Travis Weber, is an attorney with the Family Research Council. He was there to hear the oral arguments early today to give us some perspective on uh, the case as it was presented and uh, what we can expect moving forward. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. First of all, let me ask you your impression of the oral arguments today. Yeah, I mean, so I was actually pretty optimistic by the end. Uh, it started off uh, much more animated than usual. A lot of questions thrown at the direction of Jack Phillips' attorney from Alliance Defending Freedom. You know, and I was a little bit pessimistic at that point because a number of justices seemed to really pepper her with questions. But we moved on to the questioning of ACLU and Colorado attorneys, and uh, even more justices had had tough questions for them, really highlighting their position that was quite favorable to Jack. So I think by the end of the argument, um, I came out of it pretty hopeful. You know, we don't know for sure, but uh, until the court rules, but but definitely more hopeful than not. So at the at the heart of the the case is uh, religious liberty versus public accommodation. That's exactly correct. Um, you know, Jack was. Uh, when he was, this goes back to when he was asked to create a same-sex wedding cake, celebrating a same-sex wedding ceremony in Colorado several years ago. He declined. Um, the people who he declined that um, ceremony for filed a complaint with the state, which sued him, and the state civilly prosecuted him and fined him uh, through the administrative apparatus up through the state courts, and it was based on the state non-discrimination law. Uh, public accommodation law preventing discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Now, Jack has always said he has no problem with serving people based on how they identify. He just doesn't want to be forced to be part of this celebratory message in this context. So 
he filed or he defended himself by claiming First Amendment free speech and free exercise protections. The lower courts refused to uh, grant um, or rule in favor of him based on those those claims. Uh, he has appealed to the Supreme Court, which appears more favorably disposed to rule for him based on those claims. And I think Supreme Court precedent is much uh, much more favorable, or uh, it's much more favorable to those claims than the lower courts were willing to give it credit for. And so that's the gist of the case, um, you know. And, and I thought the justices uh, highlighted good arguments for Jack on both claims uh, at this morning's arguments. Now, you mentioned um, Supreme Court precedent. Uh, When it comes to creative expression or speech, they have uh, previously ruled on cases that are not the same but are similar enough. How strong uh, do their previous decisions uh, relate to this particular case? And is it strong enough? Is it a strong enough link that it's likely to influence the outcome in this case? I think it'll certainly influence the outcome. Um, you know, obviously it's not directly on point or there probably wouldn't be a right. contentious uh, case arising. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, I think the most relevant case is Hurley, uh, which arose in the 90s out of a parade in Boston that um, wanted to control what messages parade was sending. And they said, we'll accept any people in the parade, but we don't want to accept certain groups, this group that was promoting a pro-LGBT message, because they said that goes against the message we want to promote with our parade. And they were sued under public accommodations laws. Ultimately, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that that parade organizational committee had a free speech right to, be, uh, to not be compelled to speak a message by being forced to include those groups in its parade. So here you have Jack Phillips, who says, uh, similarly sued under a public accommodations law, uh, doesn't want to promote a pro-LGBT message by in, in the marriage context, claiming a free speech right to not be compelled to speak that message. It's pretty strong. Um, here, you know, Jack is in, in the marketplace, and that's the ACLU's big argument against him, that he's opening himself up to commerce. But uh, the court has never definitively said that those rights don't flow into the public square, into the marketplace in that context. And there are other cases holding that for-profit businesses can engage in protected expression, a tattoo artists, um, those producing art or um, uh, uh, recordings in a number of contexts. So I, I think, you know, Hurley combined with some of the other precedent um, is strong in the free speech context. I was actually surprised this morning that you know, the free exercise claim got a lot of attention. A lot of justices were saying the way Colorado discriminated and showed bias against Jack's religious beliefs is really unacceptable. And this was heartening because I think a lot of people thought the free speech argument was going to be the one to carry the day. But it appears now that we may have a free exercise argument, which I think could be great for religious freedom in a variety of contexts. Hmm. Now, uh, I thought it was a rather interesting, as I mentioned earlier, that there were amicus briefs filed on behalf of other artists, some uh, some 11 cake artists, but also 479 creative professionals from all 50 states. We're talking about um, cake designers, musicians, florists, photographers, graphic designers, cartoonists, sculptors, and so on, uh, arguing that they should not be compelled to express uh, speech that, that uh, violates their own core uh, values. Um, this was one of four cases that are pending, and the Supreme Court is hearing this one, but the other three will be impacted by their decision? Well, you know, there'll be a number of cases impacted by this decision, although not at the Supreme Court level. Um, uh, the, the, the most immediate Supreme Court case would be the case of Baron L. Stutzman of Washington State, who's a florist in a virtually a very similar position to Jack. Uh, There are other um, uh, wedding vendor-related cases which will be affected significantly by the the Supreme Court's ruling on the constitutional rights in this case, and those are throughout state courts or even at the administrative level still. 
in a number of um, states. And that's just the wedding context. I actually think um, this case will really affect any religious freedom claim that comes into conflict with sexual orientation, non-discrimination laws, or same-sex marriage. And this came out at the arguments today again, too, when Justice Alito quizzed um, Jack's, the attorneys opposing Jack, about whether their position would lead to a religious school being forced to violate its beliefs um, and not have a constitutional right in face of non-discrimination laws. And Chief Justice Roberts highlighted uh, pro bono Catholic attorneys who don't want to do work on a same-sex marriage-related legal issue. And the, the, the ACLU and state of Colorado attorneys had to basically concede that their position would force all these people to violate their conscience. So, you know, I actually think the, the ruling will affect a lot of cases. It'll affect some more than others. Yeah, yeah. Now, we can expect a decision from the Supreme Court sometime this spring or summer? Sometime this spring before June of 2018. Um, and, uh, you know, this we're looking forward to it. You know, we feel we feel hopeful, and um, we'll have to wait and see, though. Well, I appreciate your uh, having been there and to relate to us what you uh, saw and heard, and we'll certainly wait uh, patiently for a decision by the Supreme Court. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Anytime. Again, Travis Weber is an attorney with the Family Research Council. I think I was conflating one case, this one with the uh, cake baker, with the Supreme Court's decision to hear case uh, regarding California's law that would require pregnancy resource centers uh, to promote an abortion message. And there are four cases pending there as opposed to in this case where you just have the one. So I apologize for confusing uh, the two. All right, 45 minutes after uh, 4 o'clock is the time. You're listening to Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 50 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Stephen Mosier. He's the author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Coming up next hour. We were talking about the Supreme Court. They heard the arguments in the uh, uh, the, the cake case today. Uh, but they also have heard uh, other cases. Um, the court permitted full enforcement of the president's travel ban yesterday, handing the White House... A pretty big victory. The U.S. Supreme Court said on Monday that they ruled in favor of the president's travel ban affecting residents of six majority uh, Muslim countries, although only four of them, I think, are majority. Anyway, the justices said the policy can take full effect despite multiple legal challenges against it that haven't yet been made their way through the court system. The ban applies to people from Syria, Chad, Iran, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen. Lower courts have uh, had said people from those countries with a bona fide relationship with someone in the United States could not be prevented from entry. Grandparents and cousins were among the relatives, court said, could not be excluded. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor said that they would uh, they would have left the lower court rules in order. The nine members of the court said in uh, two page orders late Monday afternoon that the lower court rulings that uh, partly blocked the ban should be put on hold while appeals courts in Richmond, Virginia and San Francisco take up the case. Both courts are scheduled to hear arguments in those cases this week. Uh, both courts are also dealing with the issue of an accelerated base or on an accelerated basis. And the Supreme Court noted it expects those courts to reach decisions with appropriate dispatch. Quick resolutions by appellate court. Uh, would allow the Supreme Court to hear and decide the issue this term by the end of June so that this could be 
resolved once and for all, presumably. Trump's travel ban has uh, has been challenged in separate lawsuits by Hawaii and the American Civil Liberties Union. Both have argued the ban discriminates against Muslims and should not go into effect under immigration laws. President Trump's anti-Muslim prejudice is no secret. He has repeatedly confirmed it, including just last week on Twitter, Omar Jadwat, director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project, said in a statement, It's unfortunate that the full ban can move forward for now, but this order does not address the merits of our claims. We continue to stand for freedom, equality, and for those who are unfairly being separated from their loved ones. We will be arguing Friday in the Fourth Circuit that the ban should ultimately be struck down. Uh, Trump issued a revised version in March after the first ban was blocked by federal courts. The second one expired in September after a lengthy court fight and was replaced with the current version. So it is not resolved completely yet, but at least for the uh, the short term. Capping months of speculation, President Trump on Monday also signed a pair of executive orders to significantly shrink two of Utah's national monuments, Bears Ears and the Grand Staircase Escalante, that were uh, created by his Democratic predecessors. The controversial move was pitched by Trump as a win for states' rights and follows an April review conducted by the Interior Secretary Ryan Zink on the boundaries of large national monuments. The review initially looked at more than two dozen sites designated by President decrees since the 1990s. I know you love this land and the best, uh, and uh, you know, you know, I should say you love this land the best, and you know how to protect it, and uh, we know uh, how to uh, to conserve land for many, many generations to come, Trump said to a group of people at Utah's capital in Salt Lake City, they don't know your land, they don't care for your land like you do, end quote. Well, the uh, Trump's presidential proclamation cut Bears Ears by 85 percent, Grand Staircase Escalante in half. The action is also likely to trigger a a legal battle that could alter the government's approach to conservation, which is probably uh, long overdue. Uh, This was controversial when President uh, uh, President Obama uh, declared it. It's controversial when it's been uh, rescinded, at least in in large part. And it will always be controversial when a single individual exercises that kind of authority over large swaths of U.S. territory. And perhaps there's a, a better way of, of managing that. Utah's congressional and state leaders lobbied the president to reduce the size of the monument so the state would have more control over what can be done on the land. Republican Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah praised the announcement and said Trump was giving the people of Utah a voice in the process, which they do not currently have under any administration. Zink maintained Monday that the move should uh, be seen as correcting an overreach by the federal government. We're not taking one square inch of federal land and transferring it or selling it. It is still federal land with all the protections of federal land, Zink said, adding that the biggest change is that government is allowing greater use on the areas that were previously in the monument. Opponents, however, see it as the latest example of the government breaking promises to Native American tribes and eroding protections for public land. In 2016, former President Obama proclaimed Bears Ears a national monument dedicated to Native American culture. Former Interior Secretary Sally Jewell, who was instrumental in designing or designating Bears Ears Monument, tweeted Trump's actions will make him the most anti-conservation president in our history. A bit of overstatement. He will be challenged by the tribes and throughout uh, citizens that recognize that some places are too special to develop. And we're, of course, not talking about development, but land use. 
uh, by those in the area. Vice President Al Gore applauds, uh, applauded President Bill Clinton when he signed a bill designating uh, about 1.7 million acres of land in southern Utah's Red Rock Cliff as the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument at the Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona uh, in uh, September of 1986. That, too, was controversial. Former President Clinton designated uh, the monument during his administration. About 2,000 people lined up near Utah's capital on Monday, holding signs like keep your tiny hands off our public lands and chanting lock him up at Trump, a familiar chant that he encouraged uh, his supporters to chant against his uh, then opponent, Hillary Clinton. Uh, There were also protests held over the weekend at Utah's snowy capital. The decision to to shrink the state's sprawling wilderness uh, shrines has prompted a fierce backlash by environmental groups as well. And that back and forth will continue. And as mentioned earlier, it's highly likely that the courts ultimately will review the process by which an individual, the chief executive, has the authority uh, without any um, input by the other branches of, of government uh, to designate these swaths of land as essentially um, non-negotiably off limits. We'll see what happens. The United States will no longer participate in the U.N. organized global compact on migration. The U.S. mission of the U.N. informed the secretary general uh, this weekend. That decision was informed by concerns about threats to the United States sovereignty, with administration officials citing the need for the country to define its own immigration policy independent of the mandates of the United Nations. America is proud of our immigration heritage and our longstanding moral leadership in providing support to migrant and ref- refugee populations across the globe. No country has done more than the United States, and our generosity will continue. That's a quote from the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. But our decisions on immigration policies must always be made by Americans and Americans alone. We will decide how best to control our borders, who will be allowed to enter our country, which is true of every other nation on the planet. The announcement reverses the Obama administration decision to sign on to the New York Declaration of Refugees and Migrants, which aims at setting uh, setting up the GCM by 2018. The New York Declaration includes a number of commitments for signatories that create expanded expectations for immigrants. These include education for children with a few months within a few months of arrival, as well as working toward an end of detention for children Uh, to determine their immigration status. The GCM would also try to strengthen the global governance of migration, specifically by adding the International Organization for Migration to the UN's purview. All of this, Haley contended, is uh, incompatible with preserving the United States sovereignty and its ability to set its own migration policy. The global approach in the New York Declaration is simply not compatible with the U.S. sovereignty. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson concurred with Haley's analysis in a separate statement, writing that the New York Declaration contains a number of policy goals that are inconsistent with U.S. law and policy. And while we will continue to engage on a number of fronts at the United Nations, in this case, we simply cannot in good faith support a process that could undermine the sovereign rights of the United States to enforce our immigration laws and secure our borders. The United States supports international cooperation on migration issues, but it is the primary responsibility of sovereign states to help ensure that migration is safe, orderly and legal, he said. The president of the U.N. General Assembly expressed his regret at the U.S. departure in a statement of his own, saying the role of the United States in this process is critical, as it has historically and generously welcomed people from all across the globe 
and remains home to the largest number of international migrants in the world. As such, it has the experience and expertise to help ensure that this process leads to a successful outcome. A resident uh, fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies disagreed, saying, and that's Andrew Arthur, saying U.S. immigration policy should be determined by elected officials, not unelected groups of bureaucrats from the U.N. The idea that we had unelected officials negotiating some sort of global migration compact is problematic, to say the least. We're going to take a quick break here for news and traffic at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And in the next hour, we'll talk with Stephen Mosher, his book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back six minutes after five o'clock. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering. James Blend is producing. Later this hour, we're going to hear from Stephen Mosier. He's the author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. It's an excellent book if you want to better understand the People's Republic of China as it exists today, what their vision of the future is and where it's uh, where it came from. Uh, it's a fascinating uh, book. Also, I want to remind you that uh, you are invited to come enjoy a great evening of clean comedy for the whole family with a multi-talented Taylor Mason. He is a comedian, a ventriloquist, musician, and actor. He's sure to entertain the young and the young at heart, and the old and grizzled among us as well. Saturday night, December 9th at East Hill Church in Gresham. Don't miss out. Get your tickets today at kpdq.com. And don't we need to laugh just a little bit right about now? kpdq.com or on your um, KPDQ mobile app. Taylor Mason coming to town this Saturday. Well, the news that a top FBI agent involved in both the Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump investigations is politically compromised isn't all that shocking. When the team was put together, there was a lot of howling from the right, suggesting that these are all Hillary financial and other supporters. So that didn't come as much of a surprise. The agent, Peter Strozik, as uh, he is known, was found to have sent text messages that expressed vehement anti-Trump views. He's not just any FBI agent. The New York Times calls him one of the most experienced and trusted FBI counterintelligence investigators. If that's true, the U.S. Um, may want to question the investigation. He led the investigation of Hillary Clinton's email server in his role as the number two official in the FBI's counterintelligence division. He then was added to special counsel Robert Mueller's team of investigators going after Trump. There was already concern that many of the lawyers on Mueller's team are consistent donors to the DNC. Now we learn that an FBI career professional on the team is also an anti-Trump partisan. Now, I'm not suggesting that an investigation is not warranted, that it shouldn't go forward. My only concern is when you have investigations like this that have um, that are tainted or biased or whatever, whatever the outcome, and I think most of us who take this seriously want to see the truth uh, ultimately presented, it calls into question everything. Well, Strozik uh, was removed from the team this summer when his text messages were discovered. When the House Intelligence Committee noticed his transfer this summer, they asked the FBI to explain the circumstances. Well, they refused uh, repeatedly uh, f- uh, to provide that information. The committee chairman, Representative Devin Nunez, is outraged by the, or rather was, by the stonewalling. In a statement, uh, he said, by hiding from Congress and from the American people documented political bias by a key FBI head investigator for both the Russia collusion probe and the Clinton email investigation, the FBI and DOJ engaged in willful attempt to thwart Congress constitutional oversight responsibility. He was so upset that he is uh, threatening contempt of Congress charges. The president weighed in, too, tweeting, 
uh, report, anti-Trump FBI agent led Clinton email probe. Now it's all uh, now it all starts to make sense. End quote. Well, this uh, breaking story led some credence to the strong suspicion that uh, deeply embedded political partisans throughout key government agencies were trying to nullify uh, the election. And this is just a brief overview without much detail, but it does give some context and some of the uh, since uh, disclosed elements of it um, for the remainder of this week. But late on Friday, ABC uh, reporter Brian Ross, as I mentioned earlier, erroneously reported that Donald Trump, while a candidate for president, instructed Michael Flynn to make contact with Russia. Seven hours later, ABC was forced to correct that report, admit it was after the election when Trump was president-elect. It's a very common for incoming administrations to make contact with foreign governments. Doing so is not illegal or unethical. In fact, it's uh, supposed to help with the smooth transfer of power. Ross's story caused a 300-point drop in the stock market. Uh, It also set off a round of celebrations by various media commentators who are hoping President Trump will be forced out of office. A little later, ABC announced Brian Ross would be suspended for four weeks without pay, effective immediately. Uh, So he gets the Christmas and the holiday season off, and when he comes back, he just won't be allowed to cover Trump stories. It's not the first time Ross has made an egregious error in his reporting at the expense of um, uh, an administration or a lawmaker. After the shooting at a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado in 2012, he reported that he had connected the shooter to a Tea Party website. The report was totally false, but it demonstrates how some in the media wanted to demonize that uh, that organization. Well, President Trump left no doubt about his support for Judge Roy Moore's election to the Senate over Uh, Doug Jones, who's the Democrat, Trump tweeted on Monday, Democrats' refusal to give even one vote for massive tax cuts is why we need Republican Roy Moore to win in Alabama. We need his vote on stopping crime, illegal immigration, border wall, military, pro-life, VA, judges, Second Amendment, and more. Uh, No to Jones, a Pelosi-Schumer puppet. Now, it's sad when those are your choices, someone who's been accused of some very serious crimes. We don't know if they're true or not, but the accusers seem to be credible. Uh, Electing him um, uh, doesn't give uh, Republicans much uh, of a choice uh, if his accusers uh, are believed by the people of Alabama. Similarly, there wasn't much of a choice for those who were voting in the 2016 election. Some couldn't imagine either of the candidates serving in the White House. Well, new polls uh, show a tight race in which turnout will make the difference, which is always the case. It's almost comical to to make the statement. But uh, there was a poll done uh, by the Campaign for Working Family Supporters in Alabama, and they found that Roy Moore had solid support among conservatives, which, again, is sort of a sad scenario given Uh, the situation that we are in as a country, not to mention as an individual candidate. We learned today that the Russian Olympic Committee was suspended on uh, Tuesday from the 2018 Winter Games in South Korea over the 2014 Sochi doping scandal. Russia's Minister of Sports uh, and his then-Deputy Minister are banned from all future participation in the Olympic Games. Now, uh, it's probably the right decision uh, based on a systematic uh, use of of drugs within the system, but it's very sad for the athletes who have trained some with and perhaps some without the use of uh, illicit drugs uh, for the Olympic Games. The International Olympic Committee said Russian athletes will be able to compete in the Olympics as neutrals. The IOC, which also suspended the Russian Olympic Committee and the IOC member Alexander Zhukov, 
said some competitors will be invited to participate as an Olympic athlete from Russia without the national flag or the anthem. Russia could refuse the offer and boycott the games altogether. We'll see what happens. The IOC also banned Russian Deputy Prime Minister uh, Mutko for life from the Olympics for his role in the country's doping program. He was sports minister at the time of the 2014 Sochi Olympics, remained head of the 2018 World Cup Organizing Committee. The IOC commission chairman says the doping program was under the authority of the Russian sports ministry. That is why the then sports minister was uh, responsible and has responsibility for the future of that system. He appeared at the Kremlin late uh, last week alongside the FIFA president. Uh, There was no immediate comment from FIFA, and that's uh, the soccer organization, on uh, him continuing as the head of the Russian Soccer Federation and the World Cup Organizing Committee. Uh, Those still uh, are up in the air. Russian President Putin was previously said, uh, has rather previously said it would be humiliating for Russia to compete without national symbols. The IOC also imposed a fine of $15 million on the Russia Olympic Committee. So you will not see Russians as uh, representing their nation in the Winter Olympics, if they appear at all, uh, once invited by the IOC. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk with Stephen Mosher. He's the author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Uh, It's a fascinating book that gives you perspective on China, uh, its past, its present, and what it aspires to, what its dreams are for the future. Stephen Mosher, up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Well, there's been disturbing news from North Korea. It's been dominating the headlines for throughout the year, really. We fear North Korea's ballistic missile agenda, and we're strategizing about how to denuclearize them if that's possible. But if you want to stop North Korea, according to my next guest, we have to punish China. Because North Korea is China. Well, in his eye-opening new book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order, published by Regnery, China expert and author Stephen Mosher, he exposes North Korea as a tributary state of the communist giant, armed and defended by Beijing under a mutual security threat. He argues that China's president and Communist Party leader Xi Jinping is not going to help solve the North Korean problem, He created the problem, and he's using it for his own purpose, to distract America from the real threat, which is China. North Korea would not exist without China and would long since have collapsed were it not for China. Well, Chinese President Xi Jinping, he dreams of overturning the current U.S.-led world order and replacing it with one dominated, yes, by China. Only one enemy poses a truly mortal challenge to the United States and the peaceful and prosperous world that America guarantees. Well, Stephen Mosier is president of Population Research Institute. He's a leading authority on China, an advocate for human rights in China. He had been instrumental in exposing abuses in China's one-child policy, as well as other human rights abuses and population control programs around the world. He's the author of numerous books, including, but not limited to, Journey of the Forbidden China, A Mother's Ordeal, One Woman's Fight Against China's One-Child Policy, Population Control, Real Costs, Illusory Benefits, and China Misperceived, American Illusions, and China's Reality. He frequently testifies before Congress and publishes in Breitbart, National Review, and the Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I apologize for my rather strained voice, but I'm grateful to have you with us. 
Well, I, I appreciate you getting the word out, even at considerable self-sacrifice. The book is titled Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Now, for a communist secular government, it's difficult to imagine that China has a dream for the future that looks back, uh, looks at the present, but looks ahead to what China imagines the world order will be. And this may come as, as news to many of our listeners. Can you give us a context of China's dream well, China's dream of, of, uh, of dominating Asia goes back to the very founding of, of China as a country. China, of course, means, in Chinese, Zhonghua means the middle kingdom, literally middle and kingdom. The kingdom at the center of the earth, another way that China's leaders refer to China, is as Tian Xia. Tian is heaven, and Xia means everything under. So, you know, you can read that as everything under heaven. China dominated uh, its known world for centuries, actually going back to uh, the time of Christ. It was surrounded by smaller, weaker tributary states, which regularly brought uh, gifts and goodies to the emperor who sat on the dragon throne, kowtowing before the emperor and his might. Uh, Kowtowing actually literally means knocking your head on the floor uh, nine times. Uh, It has to be loud enough for the emperor to hear it, otherwise it's a sign of disrespect. Hmm. So uh, so China is used to being in the middle, and it wants to be in the middle again. Now, you can understand why China would like to recover its traditional place in the world. I mean, for 2,000 years, it had the largest army, the largest population, the largest economy in the world. The trouble is, China is ruled by a one-party dictatorship that, that does not share our values, our institutions. A world dominated by China would be less democratic, less safe, uh, less free, not only for Americans, but for the Chinese people themselves. So uh, I'd, I'd rather that not happen. In your introduction, you begin by giving us a, a context that we might better understand. You uh, write about the Athenians and the Spartans battling one another and the decision that was made what to leave behind once victory was was one, and then you contrast that to the wars that took place uh, in what is now China, but used to be a, a you know a variety of different feudal lords fighting against one another. Talk a little bit about what kind of warfare and the inevitability of warfare that uh, China believes is necessary in order uh, for them to take their rightful place at the head of uh, of the class, if you will. Well, every country, you know, has has a founding myth has a founding history. The United States, of course, fought a revolutionary war against Britain. lasted several years. We still remember today, and we revere our founding fathers, uh, especially George Washington, that they wanted to make him king, and he said, nope, I'm not interested. I'll be president for a while, and then I'll go home and run my, run my farm. Uh, and China, the history is very different. The formative period of China occurred, uh, begin, you know, a thousand years before the time of Christ. There were 200 feudal kingdoms in China ruled by dukes and princesses and marquises and so forth. And they fought a war of all against all for 500 long years. Now, you can imagine, uh, we had a hundred years war in, in, um, in, in Europe a while, a few centuries ago. We had uh, the, the war between Spartan and Athens lasted 30 years, Peloponnesian Wars. In China, the warring went on and on and on, and it left deep scars on, on, on China, on the minds of uh, the Chinese people. And it taught the Chinese rulers one thing, that you had to have absolute power. It taught Chinese rulers that he who has the most power wins. And it taught China's rulers that at the end of the day, there's only going to be one man standing. I apologize for the use of the word man, but, you know, it was always, in China's case, usually a man. Mm-hmm. So one, one, the last man standing. China intends to be uh, the last man standing in the world that we find ourselves in today. Uh, they believe that at the end of history, uh, which is still around the corner, that China will be the dominant country all around the world and the rest of us will be uh, paying tribute to China and recognizing its superiority. And um, uh, that world will be a very different place than, than the rather you know, benevolent 
um, leadership that the U.S. has exercised, China will uh, will go on the march. It will absorb smaller neighboring countries. It will install dictatorships everywhere. And that's not a world, quite frankly, that I want to live in. Well, that explains at least to some degree why Taiwan is so important to China, why the South China Sea is so important to China. It's part of a much larger vision of China's role in the world. Absolutely. I mean, it's as if it's as if Britain were to have said back in 1790, we're not going to let America go. Uh, we're not going to let uh, Canada or Australia and New Zealand go either. We're going to continue to dominate them. And if they try to pull away, we will pull them back in with deadly force. China has never, ever re- renounced the use of force in recovering Taiwan because they, they, they have this uh, sort of manifest destiny. They, they feel it's their historical mission to recover all the lost parts of China. The trouble is, China once stretched from the East China Sea all the way to Europe uh, under the Mongols, um, uh, the, the empire, the largest land empire the world has ever seen, stretched almost all the way across Eurasia. And I think China uh, would like to uh, begin to recover some of those lost territories in the years to come. Now, we, we consider the world to be composed of nation states. China's really not a nation state. China is an empire that has survived into the modern age. And like an empire, it has no fixed borders. Its borders are set by the strength of China and the strength of neighboring countries. Recently, you know, there's been this big uh, controversy over the South China Sea. China's enormous sea grab, land grab of an ocean extending 1,200 miles to its south. And when the countries around the South China Sea protest, Vietnam, the Philippines, Brunei, Malaysia, Indonesia, the Chinese foreign minister said, you don't understand. You are small countries. We are a large country. That's just a fact. And if that isn't The Bully of Asia, I don't know what is. Mm. We're talking about the book titled The Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. When we come back, I want to talk about the, the new Cold War, as you put it. When the Soviet Union collapsed, Americans uh, rightfully reacted with euphoria and expected China to do the same. The reaction was something of a miscalculation, however. Um, as uh, you write, the steely-eyed heirs of a 2,000-year tradition of hegemony took a far less uh, sanguine view of the new world situation. We'll talk about that and much more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Stephen Mosier. He is the author of many books. Today we're talking about his latest, which is a must read if you want to understand the broader context of our relationship, if you will with uh, China. The book is titled Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Again, my guest, Stephen Mosier. There was a lot of discussion about the uh, the great dividend, the peace dividend following the collapse of the Soviet Union. As I mentioned earlier, the United States was elated that the Cold War has come to an end. The expectation was that China would uh, react similarly, but that was a miscalculation. Talk a bit about that miscalculation and others that we may harbor to our own peril about China and uh, its its uh, goal in the region and, for that matter, beyond uh, Asia. Well, Deng Xiaoping, who was the leader of China at the time of the collapse of the Soviet Union, reacted to the dissolution of the Soviet Union by turning to his colleagues, his comrades in the Communist Party's Politburo and saying, the old Cold War is over between the Soviet Union and America. The Soviet Union is gone. America is won. The new Cold War between China and America has begun. And uh, and we intend, he said, to win that war. And China has literally been at war with us ever since. Not in, not in kinetic terms. Obviously, bombs aren't falling. But they've been at war with us, stealing our intellectual property, uh, stealing factories and jobs opposing us internationally, uh, warring against us in cyberspace. I mean, the cyber war, if we could see it, uh, would be a frightening spectacle. 
the constant attacks on U.S. government organizations, U.S. military organizations, and on the private sector. I mean, it is estimated by the CIA that $600 billion a year in intellectual property is stolen by Chinese hackers from the United States. That's an annual theft of $600 billion. Multiply that by 10 years at $6 trillion. Probably from the beginning of the Internet age, we've seen a net transfer of worth almost equivalent to the entire uh, gross domestic product of the United States, $20 20 trillion or so. Uh, That's the biggest wealth transfer in in history. It wasn't what we agreed to. It wasn't what we thought we were getting into uh, when we opened the doors to China and began to aid them and trade them. But that's that's been the result. And I'll I'll tell you what, it's past time that we woke up to the way that China is is cheating and taking advantage of us because uh, the sand is running out of the hourglass. Mm -hmm. I think we have about 10 years before we reach a tipping point, after which China will be so powerful that it will be impossible to turn back this this tide. You write that since becoming military chief and general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party in November of 2012 and president in March of 2013, Xi uh, has made made it clear that the country is no longer ruled by committee, but by a man. He has managed to seize control of the party, the army, the government is likely to be in power for decades to come. Talk a bit about his role in achieving this uh, this dream that China has had uh, before him and will certainly reach toward while he remains in power. Well, uh, the the party general secretary, we call him a president, but he's also the head of the party Mm -hmm. in the military. Uh, uh, President Xi Jinping, the new red emperor, I sometimes call him, uh, is modeling himself on the first red emperor, that is Chairman Mao Zedong. Now, Chairman Mao Zedong, we should all recall, was one of the great mass murderers of human history. Sixty-five million people died at his hands because of his purges, uh, because of the Great Leap Forward, because of the disastrous commune mistake. Uh, uh, Xi Jinping has actually accumulated more power now than Mao Zedong had at his height. He controls more of the government. Uh, he's purged a quarter of a million um, officials at various levels. Uh, that's that's 250,000 uh, party officials, government officials, who are purged on charges of corruption. But, of course, we all know what's really going on. What's going on is a political purge where your enemies, people who belong to other factions who didn't support you, are now being imprisoned and, uh, and, and sometimes killed. So this is, this is China reverting to type. This is China going back to the, the model uh, of high Maoism. And there's really a new kind of cultural revolution going on in China. China's a lot wealthier today than it was in the 50s and 60s. But it is still the case that human rights activists are disappearing, uh, that Chinese uh, attorneys who are trying to, to use the legal system, such that it is to fight the government, are being rounded up and put in what are called black jails, which, which don't uh, legally exist. They're, they're hidden uh, places where people are detained uh, and, and, and often tortured and forced to write confessions. Uh, the persecution of Christians is intensifying in China, of minorities. So all of the things that we associate with uh, the, the, the cultural revolution, the high tide of Maoism, are starting to happen again in China today. It's a sad thing to see. You know, I was the first American scholar allowed into China back in 1979. I was then at Stanford University. I thought over the succeeding years that China would go our way, that China would gradually develop economically, that, that a middle class would form, and that 
the party would gradually let go of power and we would see the beginning of respect for human rights and maybe even a little bit of democracy. That hasn't happened. Instead, we see the reverse, China going back to the the, the model of, of despotism, of tyranny, of, of totalitarianism that has so often characterized it in human history. Mm. Xi Jinping is encouraging his people to dream, and as you put it, to dream big. Um, the National Dreamscape is a series of tableaus, past and future. Talk a little bit about the dream that uh, President Xi uh, is encouraging his people to have, and then we'll talk a bit about North Korea and the role that it is playing in this uh, unfolding drama. Well, uh, remember, you know, we, we talked earlier about how, how China was uh, the largest, most powerful, most populous country for centuries. Uh, the China dream is a dream of recovering that dominant position in the world. And, you know, I, I've always wished the Chinese people well, but they are dominated now by a, by a brutal a one-party dictatorship that, of course, will not share power, will not respect human rights, and will not respect international law. And under that kind of regime, you know, we, 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 we face a real threat um, around the world. Um, any political party that uh, is willing to kill 400 million of its own unborn citizens, as China has in the one-child policy, uh, will obviously stop at nothing to achieve its goals. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the situation we face. We have an education system in China that has been designed by the party state to inoculate kids against ideas of uh, Western um, freedom and democracy and so forth, and instill in them the idea that China is a superior country, has a superior culture, has a superior ethnicity, and that the world should naturally look to China uh, for leadership in, in all these areas. You know, it's a dangerous thing to teach kids that, 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 that they and their country and their people are naturally superior. Uh, you know, that, that can lead to um, some devastating consequences, as we've seen in the not-too-distant past. Well, let's talk, um, as our time is running out, let's talk about North Korea. Some would assume that either China doesn't have the power to control, nor- uh, control North Korea, that China doesn't have the will to control North Korea, um, or that, uh, you know, f- for some reason, they're just unwilling to. Uh, and you write eloquently about the role that North Korea is playing in the unfolding plan and purpose of China. Well, I, I think North Korea is very useful to China and very useful to uh, President Xi Jinping. Because remember, uh, Xi is making uh, territorial claims at all points of the compass. He's claiming islands in the East China Sea that Japan owns. He's claiming islands. He's claiming huge sea in the South China Sea. He's, he's, he's claiming huge chunks of territory that, that actually belong to India. And so there, 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 are, there are lots of things going on uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Xi trying to shift China's borders outward. But North Korea is very useful as a distraction. You know, every few months, uh, Kim Jong-un sets off a nuclear weapon and the world is aghast. And, and then every few months he fires a, an ICBM and the world is terrorized. And, uh, and so China says to the United States, you need us. You can't be too mad at us. Uh, over the South China Sea, the East China Sea, all of our other aggressive acts, because you need us to help solve the North Korean problem. Well, they've been saying that for 25 years. <laughs> if you just, if you need us, the United States, to help you solve the North Korean problem. They don't want to solve the North Korean problem. North Korea is a very useful foil for them, because as long as Kim Jong-un is, is shoot, little rocket man, as we call him, is shooting off his missiles and firing and exploding his nukes, uh, will be distracted from what China 
itself is doing. And China is, is North Korea's backer, and China is the much larger threat. Uh, North Korea is, is principally a threat you know, to its own people. It's imprisoned 15% of them in prison camps. Its people are starving. We had that soldier come mm-hmm. stumbling across yes. the border from North Korea a few days ago. Uh, he had hepatitis B. Uh, he was malnourished. His stomach was full of intestinal worm. He was in bad shape. And this is a border guard in the North Korean military, the prize military, the one million man military that Kim Jong-un talks about. Um, and, and he was, he was barely able to stand. So, um, behind North Korea, behind Kim Jong-un is China. If China wanted to, re- to, to remove North Korea dictator Kim Jong-un from power, uh, they could do so very quickly. They could stop. They could close the border. Ninety percent of North Korea's trade comes from China. If they close the border, uh, North Korea wouldn't be able to launch any more missiles because all the parts and pieces for the missiles come from China. Come from China. Yeah. 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 Well, this is a must-read book. Once again, Bully of Asia. Uh, I can't even read my own uh, thing here. Why the... Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> I apologize. I I don't have a hard copy of the book, so I'm having to scroll here. Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Stephen Mosher is the author, and I should mention in the final chapter, you write about what we as a country have to do at this point, which I appreciate as well. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Again, Bully of Asia, the book is published by Regnery. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. This is our final segment on today's Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow, I'm looking forward to talking with Tom Cole. I should say Judge Tom Cole. He's now retired, but he's going to join us to talk about a project that he and a local pastor uh, are uh, instrumental in. And I should mention that each of them Uh, lost their daughters to a a criminal act. They were both murdered. And this is really a remarkable story of how God has transformed a tragedy into something that's going to minister to and give hope to the very sorts of people who are responsible for violent crime. We're going to talk with Judge Cole about a Bible uh, education program in our local prison and uh, how that grew out of uh, grief, sorrow, and tragedy. Uh, He'll join us tomorrow, and I hope you can listen in because that's going to be a great conversation uh, that that brings us from that tragedy to a place of, of hope. Uh, also, if you happen to be away and you can't listen to that conversation live tomorrow, I would encourage you to check it out on our podcast uh, because you can listen to that and any other interview that you may have missed. On Thursday, we'll talk with Johnny Moore. He's the author of The Martyr's Oath, Living for Jesus. Uh, they're willing to, uh, living for the Jesus they're willing to die for. That's on Thursday. It's not a book that suggests Christians ought to pursue martyrdom, but to look at the zeal and the commitment of those who have been martyred, because in the Christian faith, there's no benefit to uh, and there's no call to um, lay one's life down for the sole purpose of it being ended, um, but to uh, live a life of faith. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the martyrs and their uh, their resolve to be faithful to the end and how we can live in the same way as uh, those who are called to serve him in life. And then on Friday, we're going to try to lighten things up, uh, assuming that that that's possible given a headline these days. And of course, if there's breaking news, we will certainly break in. Well, if you've been listening to the program, if you've been following headlines, listening to news reports, you know that there's a lot of confusion in the camp. Uh, We are a country at odds with itself. And while that's um, very disturbing, it does present an opportunity for those of us who are followers of Christ to spend some time on our knees praying for revival, beginning with um, with our own hearts to make sure that we're where God wants us to be, and then praying that there will be a transformation in our community. 
uh, demonstrating the love of Christ in ways that are tangible uh, with those that we come in contact with. One of the latest examples of this confusion that I recently read about um, had to do with pediatricians. Now, most parents, when they take their child to a pediatrician, these are individuals that you trust. They're scientists, essential, they're medical professionals. But the headline read, pediatrician revealing your baby's sex might traumatize him. Um, you know, when it comes to climate change, for example, those who question whether or not the catastrophic outcome that's being uh, suggested is uh, overstated are considered flat earthers who shouldn't really uh, earn a seat at the table. When it comes to biology, uh, science is no longer considered the arbiter of truth. In fact, truth doesn't really matter. Physiology doesn't really matter. But in the uh, November 2017 uh, 17th, uh, issue of pediatrics, a Dr. Lena Nahada, the pediatric endocrinologist at the highest uh, ranked nationwide children's hospital in Columbus, Ohio, sounded an alarm about the gender reveal phenomenon. For example, one of my coworkers left early today because he and his wife are expecting. One of the things that they're looking forward to in this appointment with the ultrasound is finding out if they're expecting a boy or a girl. And what this um, pediatrician who is uh, working at the highly ranked nationwide children's hospital of Columbus, Ohio warns is that this gender uh, reveal is, uh, is not in your baby's best interest. It might traumatize him or her. If one can even go so far as to refer to a boy or a girl as a him or a her, she warns that a sonogram posted on Facebook or a party to announce the unborn child sex is a hazard to pediatric health. Now, of course it's years before a child even knows that he or she was ever referenced on Facebook or anywhere else. But she goes on to say, so is the traditional delivery room cry of uh, it's a girl or it's a boy a bad idea? Well, because she says, yes, because there are scenarios in which a sex assignment may later be questioned or reversed, leading to a significant amount of distress. So she is suggesting as a medical professional and a scientist that declaring what a child actually is may in fact be a trauma to him or her at some point years down the road if they decide they want to be something else. Now, they will never be anything else, but they certainly can decide that they would like to behave as if they were. And if that's the case, uh, we are being told that it's in their best interest that we go along with the fiction uh, in their best interest. She isn't concerned about blurry sonograms that fail to capture the anatomical details. She's also not really uh, talking about infants born with atypical genitals requiring further tests to determine if the baby is, in fact, a boy or a girl. That's not what she's talking about, and that's a very rare condition. Now, she wants parents to embrace a trans-friendly world uh, premised on the idea that regardless of gender assignment at birth, which is your biology, uh, it isn't gender assignment at birth, unless you're, of course, referring to God making us male and female, which is what the scriptures declare. Some kids may later identify as the opposite gender. Well, that may or may not be the case. But uh, de declining to refer to people uh, as what they actually are, particularly in their infancy, is what she's recommending is in uh, is not in their best interest. She sidesteps biological sex, a puzzling move for a doctor, and focuses on gender identity, a peek at a newborn's um, sex by ultrasound or at birth merely helps doctors predict a child's future gender identity and assign the child a gender, she says. 
In other words, they're not telling you anything that's actually true. They're only speculating about what may or may not be true down the road. And although she says that in the vast majority of cases, an infant predicted to be a boy or a girl's prenatal ultrasound will identify that way for life. She parrots the now familiar transgender talking point that sometimes the right gender assignment is actually wrong. According to transgender lore, only the child can say for sure whether the assigned gender fits, regardless of what those pesky uh, hormones, chromosomes, reproductive for organs purport to suggest, among other things. The problem is that if the child eventually decides to trade the assigned gender uh, for one that seems a better fit, there will likely be pain and awkwardness all around, at least for a while. Now, it seems to me there's going to be a little pain and awkwardness if we decline to refer to individuals as what they actually are at any point in life. And if they choose to make a decision at some point down the road, that's up to them and their parents to navigate But to dictate to parents today that a very small percentage of uh, children born may decide that they want to live in a different way and to discourage parents from actually acknowledging what the truth of their child is at that moment seems uh, foolhardy and another expression of the confusion of our culture. I hope you're praying. I hope you're praying about those who are in positions of influence, like pediatricians who are influencing decisions that parents make about their children, about politicians who are making uh, very serious and sobering decisions about all kinds of things that affect all kinds of things about your life and the lives of others. I hope you're praying for those who are in classrooms teaching children and um, high school uh, young people and college students. Our nation is in peril. There's a lot of confusion. And what we desperately need is clarity. You're having trouble knowing what to pray about. There are just a few suggestions. Want to uh, remind you that uh, this month, which is December, uh, you can support your favorite ministries of the month here on 93.9 KPDQ. Have you thanked your favorite ministries this year? Now, this is a great opportunity to think about what's ministering to your life. What Bible teachers, what programs you especially appreciate? Have you thought about making a tax-deductible year-end gift to your favorite broadcast ministries here on KPDQ? We're encouraging you to send them a letter, an email, to call them and let them know how much it means to you to listen to them on KPDQ. But most importantly, keep in mind that your financial support is very important as well. It's what keeps these ministries on the air. So let me encourage you to visit kpdq.com to check our program guide to contact your favorite ministries this December. It's just a great way to end the year by letting them know that what they do has value generally, but for you in particular. Once again, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Judge Tom Cole. We're going to talk about a ministry that's being birthed in our uh, local penitentiary that's going to make a significant difference in the lives of those who are incarcerated there. And I hope you can join us for that. I want to take a moment and thank Clark Hilton, who's the engineer of this program. He's held down the fort for quite some time as I've been in and out of the studio, more out than in, and it requires much more work on his part to keep things going. So I appreciate your professionalism and your diligence um, in making that happen. Uh, Clark, he really is a broadcast professional. And James Blend, who is the producer of this program and sometimes engineer, I appreciate that he has made things uh, happen as well in my absence. I hope that that will not be the case moving forward, but we're still... Uh, fighting our way through this uh, latest bout of whatever it is that's going around. I hope you don't have it and don't get it. Uh, Anyway, I want to thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day as well. Have a great night, and I hope you'll join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. 
Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.